Thanks for listening to the CISO Diaries podcast. We're Leah. And I'm Sia. And we started this podcast with the intent to give CISOs and cybersecurity professionals a place to be their authentic selves. These are the unedited stories told of how they got into cybersecurity, their real struggles that they persevered through, their personal anecdotes that make them tick, and the leadership advice based on their own experiences. And we want to especially spotlight those that are contributing and giving back to the community apart from their day jobs. This podcast is for everyone, especially if you're a leader or someone aspiring to leadership. Who knows? You may find yourself working with these awesome leaders. So join us on your favorite podcast player. And please don't forget to subscribe, follow, like, and comment and engage in the conversation. And now let's get to know our CISO on our latest diary entry. Oh, yeah. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to our show today. I'm Leah, and I'm here with my co-host, Sia. Hello, hello. A quick shout out to our sponsor, Cyber Future Foundation. They're an organization of executive leaders who are focused on taking action across a number of those cybersecurity initiatives to make a safer and more trusted world for us. And on today's episode, we have a very intriguing individual who is doing a whole lot in the community outside of his day job to help out our young and transitioning talent and break down barriers in our industry into getting into the field. His day job is he's information systems security engineer for Stevenson Technologies Corporation. He's a Russian linguist, U.S. Army veteran. He serves on the board of Idaho's Industrial Cybersecurity Workforce Community of Practice. He's on the board of advisors at Whole Cyber Human Initiative. He mentors many, including he's a mentor for VetterEye and Vets in Tech. Alex Rhodes, welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello. Uh, thank you. And every time I uh, introduce someone and introducing you is is was a fun one, too. It makes me realize, oh, no, am I doing enough out there? <laughs> yeah, we're slackers. We're complete slackers. Seriously, Alex, yeah. I think you're not doing quite enough in your life, Alex. Yeah, well, you got to start somewhere and then do what you can. So, uh We'll see where this goes. There might be some other other things going on. I'm, I'm talking to some other people about uh, some nonprofits and for profits, trying to get some help out, get uh, the cybersecurity community up and running, and, and keep it going. And uh, also looking at uh, furthering some education. I've been looking at a PhD, uh, trying to do a cyber uh, program for that. Also been com- uh, contemplating a bachelor's of electrical or nuclear engineering. Well, and then for the record, how many kids do you have? Uh, the fifth one will be here within a month or so. So, Yeah, we're pre-recording for those listening. So Alex, take us back a little bit because you got out of the Army, what was it, around 2018? Correct. So I ended up being medically retired. I have some major back and neck problems. Uh, there's nerve damage in both arms and both legs. And if you are a federal agent and have to carry a gun... Um, having numb fingers and potentially dropping a loaded firearm might be a problem. So uh, yeah. they decided I should probably retire and, and move on to, uh, to better things. So that got me where I am. Well, thank you for your service. Uh, it was a job. It was fun. But what I do now is kind of fun, too. So, Okay. So you, I think maybe, I hate to say it, but a little bit of an anomaly compared to, you know, what we're seeing as we mentor many, right? Trying to get into cybersecurity. 
And your first job out of the U.S. Army was in cybersecurity. So talk to us a little bit about how you um, managed that and and the path to get to where you are now. Okay. Um, yeah, so during the, the medical retirement process, you know, they say it's like up to 180 days back when I went through. Hit it pretty hard uh, as soon as uh, I knew it was good. It was coming just to make sure. So around the time the Army decided I was no longer fit for service, I think that was early May of 2018, contacted by a recruiter, uh, asked if I was interested in a position. He was a subcontractor for Raytheon uh, working in a, a facility out in Colorado. So did the interview. Uh, they were nice enough to hold the position for me. They really, really needed people, so they were down a, a few positions, and they were able to hold this one for me until I was able to join them in October. So it's actually quite a, a lot of, of time between uh, getting the position in late May, early June, when they finally decided on it, until around mid-October when I was able to join them out there. Really did not think I would get the position uh, during the interview. They were asking why I was looking to leave law enforcement after being a CID agent for almost a decade. You know, I informed them I was sick of, of working with uh, rapes, murders, uh, child porn investigations, lots of, of horrible, ugly crimes that I dealt with for the last decade. One of the interviewers, she goes, so you, you really don't have to worry about any of that. Uh, this is a secret network. Uh, we, we don't have adult porn or child porn or anything of that nature on the network. I just kind of laughed out loud at her. I'm like, no, you're wrong. I, I found both on government networks and classified networks. Yeah. <laughs> and I go, I'm just sitting there. I'm glad it was you know, just a phone interview because I just buried my head in my hands. I'm like, oh, great. Well, let's find another job. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe being that honest and truthful worked to my advantage, but I was able to get that position and um, you know, moved out to Colorado and then started that job when I retired. And it was in cybersecurity, correct, for Raytheon? Yes. Uh, so it was part of the onboarding process to get various networks that were connected outside of the facility to get them into uh, the network and, and into compliance. So part of their RMF package. So they would send us their information, you know, name of the network, classification level, types of operating systems, hardware, software, things of that nature. And we would build packages so that they can configure the operating system or install a log forwarder and forward all of the logs back to the software we were running. So once they met that, you know, that was basically one third of the compliance to get in. So we helped make sure that, um, you know, logins, uh, successful, unsuccessful, raising credentials, trying to install software, accessing um, restricted features, things of that nature. All of that was was logged appropriately and monitored. So I know C is going to jump in and have some questions, but I do want to um, mention something for those that are listening and don't know, because I was it's uh, timely. I was on, in a workshop about this last night. You mentioned RMF. Um, which is Risk Management Framework, and it's a U.S. federal government guideline, and essentially bringing together more project management with cybersecurity and other teams as a process. I, I encourage folks who are out there and might be involved with RMF or need or will need to be to to look into some of the updates. You know, happy to uh, share any information on the workshop I was in last night, but just want to call that out real quick. 
Um, that is an interesting pathway in, in terms of you getting in and right straight, you know, being a veteran into cybersecurity roles. So congrats on that, by the way, though, because as we know, it's not easy getting into the field. Well, so alongside, you know, doing federal or felony investigations with CID, I was trained as a digital forensic examiner. So I had CISSP, I had Security Plus, I had MCSA Server 12, and I'd been doing, it was about 100 uh, digital forensic exams over the past about eight years prior to that. So, you know, th there's a lot of cybersecurity crossover if you learn the language and learn how to relate, you know, investigations and, and forensics and things of that nature to more traditional cybersecurity roles. So to, to clarify that then, so when you were serving in the military, you got all those certifications, correct? Correct. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, it, it helped a lot. You know, I retired with, with three digital forensic certifications through uh, Defense Cyber Investigation Training Academy, DCETA. Uh, a lot of people might know them as DC3. There's some Linux tools that they produced uh, many, many years ago. And then, <clears throat> so I got three from there, which... Um, you know, I was able to do forensic examinations, network intrusion investigations, things of that nature for Army CID, but then also had some time working as an ISO or an ISM, and that got me Security Plus, CISSP, and Server 12 certifications. So I may be a little more set up for success than others coming out, but I mean, you still have to figure out a way and a path and, and get there, and, and I was able to do that, which was Honestly, difficult because going through the med board process, there was a bunch of times I'd be talking to a recruiter, uh, talking to a hiring manager from a company. You know, the, one of the first questions, what's your availability? I don't know. I'm in, I'm in a med board process and it's, uh, what was it, 180 days or so. So anytime between tomorrow and, you know, three months from now, I, I could be released from the military. And yeah. I what does med board stand for? Uh, it's the medical retirement process. Oh, okay. so that's just what the military calls it. But when, once you reach a point where your body just gives up, says it can't handle it anymore, you know, doctor looks at you and says, "No, you're you're going to kill yourself if you keep this up. It's it's best for you to go ahead and retire or or get out, start something new." But it's a process, and you know, like anything in the government, it hurry up and wait. Yeah. So once I hit a point and I knew I was out, I mean, it was, that was May and I didn't, I didn't um, leave Virginia for Colorado until the beginning of October. So that whole time I'm trying to find jobs and it's, I, I don't know, um, February at the latest, because that's what I was told, but we'll see. <laughs> so it, it makes it a little difficult. Do you have a top secret clearance or secret clearance? Yes. <clears throat> um, don't really use it now. It's kind of just held by my company in case we need to use it. But I've, I've had one off and on for years and, and used it at various companies. Can I ask a, can I ask a question about mm -hmm. Top Secret? Yeah. I know. And yes, I'm smiling because I think of the movie uh, <laughs> Top Secret. So sorry, everyone. Uh, Good movie. <laughs> is it? <laughs> um, my question, though, is uh, top secret status. Do you have to reapply every year? Is it on a per case basis? Can you just I, I know it's a total like, uh, you know, pivot here, but uh, okay. what was what does it mean to be top secret? And do you have to reapply for it? So 
you won't be able to get it unless a position that you're you're working in requires top secret clearance. And there's a, a process you go through. Government checks into your background, so they look. You know, what type of bills do you have? Do you have bankruptcies? Um, do you have a lot of speeding tickets? You know, if you can't ab abide by the law because you have, you know, your your license has been revoked for speeding tickets, that might be a, a reason to not have it. Um, you know, what type of foreign contacts do you have? Not saying that you can't have them, but are you willing to talk about it? So they look in your background. And one of the things I've noticed, it seems they look to see, are you embarrassed by your background? If you're embarrassed by your background, then a foreign agent will be able to blackmail you for information because you don't want that information out. Or if you have monetary problems, maybe they can offer you money. And those, if you look back at the spies that have been caught, those are some of the, the big things you know, it's, it's usually money related and sometimes there's embarrassing information. So, you know, if you're if you're honest about it, you have a lot better chance of getting it and keeping it. Um, there's a renewal process. It's pretty much automated now. So once once your uh, clearance is adjudicated and granted, so they do an investigation, determine you're you're uh, able to hold a clearance and you're trustworthy. Uh, they go ahead and grant that you can start doing work and then. You know, they look into your background every few years, see if anything pops up. So, you know, let's say you sell a house and in today's market, you know, you're probably making 150, 250,000 in profit off a house because everything is crazy nowadays. If you don't report that, that might be a problem. Where'd you get the money from? So, you know, you take the time and go ahead and tell, tell your boss, hey, I just sold a house and I got this type of money and they make a little note in your file, you know, things of that nature. Just show that you're honest and, and continually trustworthy. And I'm sure there's a bunch of security managers out there who's gonna contradict what I say, but I've never been a security manager. I've just worked alongside them. Those are some some tips I've picked up and some information I've picked up. So it's nothing like how they depict on uh, Big Bang Theory? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> oh, come on, you guys, that was a great TV show. Well, <laughs> it was a good TV show. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll we'll try and keep it more honest and good information than. <laughs> so okay. Fine. You mentioned early on that you are thinking about PhD and potentially another bachelor's. What is driving you or the impetus for wanting to um, get you know, further along in education? Is it based on need for the job, other personal? It's not really need for a job. So getting a PhD would really pigeonhole me. And there's a lot of positions that I would never, ever be able to apply for again. Some of them I wouldn't want to because a lot of them are entry level. But um, so back in high school, all I wanted to do was be a rock drummer. I was 100% really? sure I was going to be a rock star. Uh, didn't care about school. Didn't really apply to college. Um, went to a local community college because I had nothing else going on, got sick of that and joined the military. So I would not have to go to school, which then I became a Russian linguist and spent a year and a half in school. Um, but I just kind of assumed, you know, I didn't really want to go to school, want to go to college, dropped out after a year and a half. I would probably never be a college graduate. Um, none of my none of my parents or my older sister were more of a traditional uh, college graduate. My grandma, I don't think she got her bachelor's until 
what, late 30s, early 40s. And so, you know, I just kind of assumed I'm, I'm not going to get it, don't need it. And if I get a, P, a PhD, it's more for me. I mean, you know, I was big into rock music, um, you know, like fast cars, um, was a rock linguist, did some satcom, was a cop. It's not really what you would think of as a traditional, you know, cybersecurity PhD candidate type of thing. And so it's, I guess it's just proof to myself that I, I might actually know what I'm talking about because I don't believe myself at the time. <laughs> you know what you're talking about pretty much all the time. I will say that from having worked with you for the last few months now. But, you know, coming from a non-traditional background, and, and I think this is where a lot of this um, self-doubt and, and, and everything comes in in cybersecurity. You know, I, I didn't work in uh, a server room. You know, I didn't come up in that doing five, 10 years in a server room, working help desk, rebuilding machines. I mean, I've done this stuff on my own. You know, I have a lab that I'm sitting in here, a bunch of old computers. Uh, I've built servers. I've built you know, virtualized things. I've got a, a chemical plant <clears throat> that I run tests on that's virtualized and, you know, try and crash and see if I can find ways to get in and, and cause problems and you know, doing research for work. But I always feel like I'm the, the the dumb person in the room. You know, all these people have gone through and they they're younger than me and they have a master's degree in cybersecurity and all they've done is cyber, you know, they know the language and they speak it. And I'm, I'm always struggling to keep up with acronyms. And I just, somebody, you know, in a, in a, in a meeting, in a, in a boardroom, something like that, you know, somebody will ask a question, Hey, what's this? And I'm like, okay, let me, let me get the terminology right. And I always feel like I'm behind, like I don't know what I'm talking about. So it, it's more personal for me just to prove, yeah, maybe, maybe you know a thing or two. But you know, what I like about that is it keeps you humble. And I think in security, you have to have a sense of humbleness because that's when you're most vulnerable, right? Is when you start getting the blinders of overconfidence, maybe. Yeah, um, I know. So when I was going through the, the digital forensics training, uh, did, did a couple classes, you know, started carving JPEGs out of hexadecimal, um, looking at cell phones, we're ripping cell phones. I, I pulled, what was it, 90,000 90, to 100,000 GPS locations out of an iPhone 4. Wow. I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm awesome. I know all this stuff. I mean, we're solving crimes. We're proving people innocent proving people guilty. This is great. I'm, I'm one of the smartest people out there. And then, you know, talk to a couple of people and realize, okay, I don't know how to uh, you know, remote into an Android or, or flash, uh, not flash, um, like root an Android device and, and extract firmware and, and evidence uh, via command line. You know, I have to use a tool and I don't know how to do a, network intrusion investigation because I'm not strong on networking. And, you know, then I started talking to people in the cybersecurity world. Um, you know, as an ISM, I had a counterpart uh, from Battalion that was helping me. So basically higher management came down to try and help me. And he'd been doing this stuff for 20, 30 years. And, hey, I need you to set up a SQL server. What? <laughs> SQL? How do you even spell that? Oh, SQL. 
oh, so that's a word, not an acronym. And <laughs> just, you know, going through all that, I'm realizing I don't really know anything. I mean, I've touched so many things that I kind of equate my, my knowledge and experience to CISSP. I know a little bit about a lot of things. You know, I got a mile wide of knowledge, but it's only about an inch deep, you know, enough to sometimes I feel enough to just fool somebody into hiring me. So, so Alex, you've got this very self-deprecating sense of self, but it feels like to me though, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is do you think of yourself as a curious person? Yeah. Um, I was always taking things apart as a kid. Didn't matter if it was electronic, mechanical, you know, we had an old, we had an old go-kart. So, you know, the, it was starting to have some problems, took the engine apart and tried to rebuild it. I mean, I didn't do it right, but it did run eventually, not very well. You know, I'd take computers apart and rebuild them. My dad taught me programming, which I gave up because back in the eighties, you know, if you're a programmer, you're a nerd, which means you have no friends. No uh, prospects of girlfriends or boyfriends, depending on you, what you uh, what you're trying to do. Am I making you nervous with that, Carrie? Oh no! Um, <laughs> I had a, a drum set, you know, being a, a rock drummer and all. Um, I refinished it myself, so I, I took off all the old plastic coating and, and refinished it. And I don't know if I did any of this stuff very well, but it, I've always been taking things apart, putting them back together, trying to figure out how they work seeing if I can maybe improve on something or fix something that's, that's broken. Um, so yeah, I'm always kind of curious about how things work and, and seeing if there's a way around something, which actually helps. Uh, we're doing a bunch of varied security research into uh, systems of systems, IOT devices, uh, vehicles, um, you know, things within, uh, the critical infrastructure. So you know, that's where like that chemical plant, the virtualized one comes in, uh, looking at all that and trying to see, okay, can I get in and what can I do? I mean, can I blow up the world? Can I turn the power off for everybody? Can I um, remotely access a vehicle and drive it? You know, how do I get in? How do I do this? And, you know, what, what do we do from there? Who do we get a hold of to try and fix these things? So there's, there's a lot of curiosity. Yeah. You know, on the acronym part, um, my friend, I think every one of us, even we've talked to CISOs who still struggle with keeping up with the acronyms, by the way. And the one I'm probably most uh, interested in figuring out which definition is real, I guess it depends on what the vendor selling, is XDR. So if anyone can help me out uh, there with the realities, that would be phenomenal. <laughs> Sidetracked a little bit. <laughs> yeah. That is a... Uh, so, you know, you're, um, I guess you think about it, right? And everything that you've been curious about or interested in and tinkering with, and then your background from being in the military and in law enforcement, I, you know, I, I can see really well how it's translated into um, the great work you're now doing in cybersecurity. Do you think it's, it's helped quite a bit, um, you know, having that kind of a background, which is diverse, I'd say? Yeah. Um, you know, as, as far as, as like, uh, you know, straight up security. So the, the, the security of electronics, security of a network, things of that nature, 
you know, doing law enforcement and being in the military, you you get a lot of security beat into you. So uh, once you once you're able to take that information and figure out how it applies, um, you know, I, can, I use this example a lot with a, a lot of veterans. Uh, a firewall. If you think about it, a firewall <clears throat> is similar to the the gate around a, a military installation. So you have somebody out there checking your ID card. So they're looking at a packet, trying to see if, if you're allowed in, you know, do you have access? Are you, are you trustworthy and reliable? They let you in. If not, you know, they, they send you out. So you turn around and head on out. Um, it's a lot like a firewall. Firewall looks at your traffic. If you set it up that way and it's, it's looking to make sure, okay, is this IP address in this network? Is this traffic reliable? You know, is there some sort of malware in there? Is this, just something I can trust and allow in. And, uh, you know, it seems like being able to explain things in a, a simple nature like that um, not only helps veterans and others transitioning in because they, they understand the security from a different mindset. You know, I'm protecting my house. So a front door could be similar. You know, I got a doorbell, I have a peephole, uh, I got a door lock, and that's kind of like your, your network boundary and, and your firewall and your, your, checking to make sure you can trust this this person or this packet that's coming you know across that threshold so it, it sounds uh, to me like you're saying concepts it's really if you can apply a real world world real world concepts <laughs> in a way yeah. that it's applicable acronyms can be acronyms be damned i think every industry has <laughs> acronyms but as long as yeah. you understand the concept and can do the darn job so do you find veterans having challenges entering the cybersecurity space um, as opposed to non-veterans? Are you seeing a difference or a gap? Um, really haven't paid attention to whether it's there's a difference between those, those two groups. Um, really just have noticed that there's, there seems to be an, an issue in getting people in. Um, so I, I was previously in the Denver area and uh, had a, a job opening pop up, I think on LinkedIn, you know, hey, you've looked at jobs like this in the past or this might fit your, you know, what you do. And so I started looking at it. Um, they were looking for an ISO, uh, Information System Security Officer, that had eh, three to five years experience working the RMF process about five years experience working with government networks. They're wanting at least a bachelor's. They're hoping more for a master's in cybersecurity. Uh, you needed a TS, you some top secret clearance, um, at least security plus, but they were really harping on you need CISSP and you need, if you don't have it, you need to get it. And they're offering you know, 60 to 80,000 in the Denver area. And I mean, I've seen that. I've seen others where they're they're looking for Security Plus or CISSP for an entry level position. They're looking for somebody that has a TS and five years experience on a government network for an entry level position. Um, you know, I've seen posts on LinkedIn where the person who just created a, a concept or, or a language um, two years ago, it's like I can't even apply to this job because they're looking for somebody with 10 years experience. It's like I just created it two years ago. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know how true those ones are. You know, I kind of pull it in for the humor. But some of these others I've seen, and some of the people I've worked with, we've we've commented on this, where 
you're expecting somebody out of high school or out of college to have, you know, A plus, net plus, security plus, a top secret clearance and 15 years experience. Yep. Some of these people might be 15 years old. <laughs> so, yeah, there's. Well, I mean, we know that this is a problem, right? <laughs> and we're doing a lot of work to try to solve for this and it's hard. Um, yeah, what yeah. got you into, I mean, so you mentor quite a few folks, you mentor veterans, you mentor the early folks, um, you mentor, you mentor career transitioners. What got you focused on, um, why, why did you get involved? I guess, what was your why? Uh, I don't know. Just, it kind of seemed like the, the right thing to do. Um, mm -hmm. in, in some regards, uh, you know, I was doing, uh, doing some of this in law enforcement. Um, I know there's a lot of negative views out there on law enforcement, but, you know, if, if we could prove somebody innocent, you know, we, we would take pride in that as much as, as finding someone and, and getting them you know, in, in jail or finding them guilty of a crime or whatever. You know, I, I don't find anybody innocent or guilty. I just tell the story as I'm investigating and I, I provide that to a lawyer and, and, and they do their piece. But, you know, I've, I've had several individuals who, you know, during an incident you know, would look to me for guidance. Um, I was in an active shooter. And so there's a, a couple there. They were medical doctors. And anytime any noise, any any incident happened, if somebody jumped, if somebody blinked, you know, they would look to me and, and see what am I doing and, and how am I reacting? Um, you know, there's another one. Uh, somebody had reported a spouse was HIV positive, uh, didn't tell this individual, and they'd been married for about eight years. And so um, after that preliminary investigation was done, you know, they really didn't have anybody to talk to, you know, and how do you just interview someone and, you know, they're, they're facing, they have to go get HIV tests, you know, for the next few months to see what's going on. Then you just kick them out the door and, you know, they're, they're sitting out there crying. You know, how do you, how do you deal with that? And is there a way that, you know, maybe you can help people out? I mean, we tried to help out as much as we could and, so, you know, for that, for that one, I, I know that the individual came back a couple months later, had gone through several rounds of testing that had all come back negative, busted in the door, gave me a big, huge hug, thanking me for, for helping, you know, get the story out, get, get the process rolling, you know, didn't know what to do or where to turn. And so I, I think some of that stuck with me. Um, you know, did some, some teaching, um, Few years after that, so we we're teaching lawyers how to introduce uh, expert witnesses in court, along with teaching them how to understand digital forensics, uh, kind of right and left limits of what we can do. And so watching, you know, it was a what two or three day event. Um, you know, we did eight to ten hours a day of, of practicing, uh, testifying in court, and teaching them about. Uh, the various tools and, and what we're doing and, and how to talk about it and kind of seeing lights go on. And so I think combining all of that, you know, once I got out, um, didn't really have a lot of 
options to really help people. Uh, probably one of the first ones, a uh, buddy of mine, Tom Zacker, I don't know, I think you connected with him recently. So I was yeah. working at Lockheed and, and he came in and you know, he just, honestly, had kind of a rundown look on him because he just retired 20 years in the Navy. Um, you know, Lockheed is similar. It's a big company and it's it's set up in, in, in a similar way, but it's also completely different. There's a civilian structure to it as opposed to the military structure. And they just kind of came in looking a little lost. Um, I was, I guess, the number two. Um, the boss had to go off for uh, a family emergency. So he just called me in and said, hey, we got a new person on the team. I need you to help out. So I went and picked him up and he kind of kind of had this little almost lost look like I'm glad to be here, but I don't what, what do I do? Where do I go? I need help. And so, you know, I spent the next probably week or so talking to him. And here's here's some of the important things that you need to know. Um, you know, the, these are good people. You know, this guy's a veteran and he, he's helped me out so you can trust him. Um, you know, over here, you know, she wasn't a veteran, but. She is really, really good on getting people in, getting tools they need. You know, if you need a computer, this is your POC right here. Go find this person. You know, walk around and, and show kind of a, a tour of the campus and things of that nature. Um, you know, even though I've left that position and then and then moved out of state, we still keep in contact. And, and he calls me up and asks advice and lets me know how he's doing. And so I think you know, building on all of that, it's just kind of stuck with me that I don't know everything. I can't do everything. Uh, I can't do every job, even if I know everything. I, I just physically can't do all of this. So eventually I'm going to retire, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, but we'll see how, how all of that works. But I'm not going to be here forever. So if I don't pass this knowledge on, if I don't help somebody else, then where are we going to be? Right. Well, thank you for all that you do for that because it's it's needed. You're adding a very big human element that I don't think we hear enough within the cybersecurity industry is the fact that, look, we're all humans behind all this. There's motivations behind everyone's activity, whether you're good side or bad side, there's a motivation in there. And again, if I'm hearing you correctly and if I were to summarize the essence of Alex, it feels like to me, no one to be, you know, humble, always be curious to learn new things and be open to new interests, uh, i.e. vis-a-vis Mr. Drummer Boy into, you know, rock and roll drummer to, you know, cybersecurity extraordinaire, um, but also seek out opportunities. It looks and sounds like to me, as you progressed in your career, you kind of carved your own path. And you kind of took advantage of opportunities as it was presented to you and learned and developed from there. Can I ask you this one question? Did you have a mentor to help you discover those different levels of Alex? Or was this something that you think you've cultivated on your own in your life? No, uh, there's, there's been several people here and there, uh, depending on the, you know, what I was doing, depending on what job through the military whether it's been uh, officer or, you know, more senior enlisted person. Um, actually, one of my big ones, 
was a lower rank than me, which you typically don't hear about much, but uh, we went through the active shooter together in El Paso back in 2015, and it's somebody I would trust with my life. And so if I had something going on, uh, you know, I'd call him up after work. Hey, this is this is what I, what I got going on. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. And we'd just talk about it. You know, it doesn't matter the rank, which in the military is a big thing. But look, you're a professional. I'm a professional. We're both in this together. I trust you with my life because I have and you did the same thing. And, you know, here's here's what I have going on. Um, moved on after that. We still stay in, in contact a bit here and there. Uh, if anything ever happens, I know he'd drop everything in a heartbeat for me. Same thing. You know, I, I would do the same thing for him. <clears throat> but then moved on to a new position, um, you know, found found somebody there that was able to to kind of guide me. Um, I have a dry sense of humor. I don't know if you've noticed, but I don't do. think he really <laughs> caught on at the beginning. So he was about ready to just kick me out the door because he thought I was being a jerk. I'm just trying to be, I guess, humorous, but it didn't come across that way. But, you know, we were able to, to get past that and... <clears throat> Um, ended up becoming his boss just because he really didn't want the job because he, he was more of a tech, wanted to do forensics rather than deal with management and lead people. So I ended up picking up that position. But even even there, you know, I could pull him aside. Hey, look, I get it. I'm in charge. You've done these things way more than me. I mean, he he was learning digital forensics when I graduated high school. So... He'd been doing it for a couple minutes. Um, you know, I could run something past, uh, past him. Hey, this is what I have going on in this investigation. This is what I'm thinking. Does this make sense? No, don't do that. You're an idiot. I'm like, okay. It's like, you know, go, go do push-ups. I'm like, all right, I guess. <laughs> well, I, I don't have to do that. I think right. wisdom in seeking advice, right? As a leader, <clears throat> as a leader, you shouldn't be the smartest person in the room. I mean, if you are then you might want to reassess your team. Well, check your ego, yeah. really. I mean... Yeah, um, so there's there's been times where I felt like maybe I'm the smartest person on a team, mm -hmm. as in the team of cybersecurity professionals I'm working with. And so that's that's not always a great thing, but then that's, that's where you, you get into uh, mentorship and, and leadership. Okay, yeah. so I know more about this topic than you. Please come over here. Let me show you how to do this. Number one, I don't want to do everything. You know, uh, one of the positions I had, it felt like I was the ISO, the ISM. I was an ISI. I was an architect. Um, I was doing reverse engineering, uh, trying to figure out how to create a six petabyte uh, data lake. I don't want to do all this stuff. This is a lot of work. And so let me let me grab you. You said you might be interested in this. Let me show you how I do this. Can you please help me? Uh, I want to go home. You know, I have a family. I, I want to go, you know, finish my master's degree, which I was working on at, at that time. Or uh, I would like to get, you know, a little project like, a, you know, get a car, or maybe start taking up music again or, you know, just do something outside of work that's not related to cybersecurity. And if I'm working 25 hours a day because I have 10 different hats, I can't do any of that. So it's you know, at that point, if you're the smartest person in the room, maybe it's time for you to take your expertise and your knowledge and bring everyone else up to your level. And then if you still think, okay, well, 
I'm maybe I need to challenge myself more. I've taught these people, then it's time to move on. You know, hey, I've left this place better than when I got here. Things are going well. There's a lot of people with a lot more skills. Maybe it's time for me to move on and, and challenge myself. Um, I love that. If you're the smartest person in the room, maybe it's time to move on, challenge yourself or help others and educate them. Alex, it's been um, awesome to just have this conversation with you. I mean, I've worked for, with you for a few months now as we're, you know, a whole cyber human initiative and helping out candidates to get into the field. Um, I've learned a lot about you. I learned even more in this conversation today. Um, I, I personally think you're brilliant. Um, you've helped me a lot. And I want to do a sh quick shout out too. I mean, just you know, seeing your leadership um, and your style, and you know, we got we had the pleasure of talking to your si 16 year old son yesterday, um, who I know he skipped a grade, seventh grade is freshman. I mean, that you've got a very very smart kid on your hands there, and I know he's interested in, to, in getting into cybersecurity. I will say he's got a great role model in you to look up to and to be on that path. Um, very lucky. And, you know, for everyone out there listening, Dylan Rhodes, um, he, he is look out for him. I, we need to get him plugged in and into a job because that kid is, uh, very smart and has done a lot already. But as we wrap up, Alex, what, um, what parting thoughts can you share with everyone listening? Any takeaways or parting thoughts? Uh, so I know from my time in the army, you know, when you first joined, everybody says, you know, don't step forward, don't raise your hand, don't volunteer. Uh, I did that. I was in for five years as a Russian linguist. I got out after five years as a former Russian linguist. Um, nobody at the time, you know, 9-11 had already happened. Nobody was hiring Russian linguists with or without a clearance. And I did nothing for about three years. Uh, went back in the military and said, okay, I'm doing this until retirement. You know, I need to provide for my family. And at that point it was, okay, I need, uh, I need to find something. So, you know, I volunteered to try and do uh, White House communications, uh, volunteered to be CID and, and do investigations. Uh, once in there, I volunteered to do digital forensics, I volunteered for positions that were honestly miserable. I learned some, uh, some of the most important and, and lessons that have stuck with me for a long time from some of the worst situations I've been in. Um, but that second time around, I, I volunteered a lot more. Um, okay, I'll go do it. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? I haven't died yet, so <laughs> I'm good. But uh, yeah, if you don't take that chance and put yourself out there, then the answer is no. So take a chance. Uh, if it happens, great. If not, you hopefully have learned something and next time around you'll be better. That is great advice. And I want, I want to thank you again for um, being with us today and just showing up in your authentic self as you always do. It's very, um, it's very appreciative. And thank you for all that you do in the community and giving back. Um, you're helping so many. And so thank you for that. And if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you? LinkedIn, other? I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on the Full Cyber Human Initiative website. You can find me on there. And I think there's a link from there to LinkedIn. You can find me. <laughs> use use some OSINT skills. You know, there you, you know go. my name. You know who, who I, you know, some of the circles I travel in now. 
uh, if you're that curious and if, if you really want to talk, use your OSINT skills and, and you should be able to find me. I love that. Well, Alex, again, thank you for being with us and chatting with us and sharing so much and helping so many out there. And thank you again for your service. And it was a great chat. We're uh, looking forward to more. Yeah. Uh, thank you for the for the time. And I'm glad I'm able to help out. Awesome. Awesome. Alex, you are a treat for sure. And a continued success. And we will definitely be looking out for your son, hopefully for positive reasons in cybersecurity. But guys, I think that was just a great wrap up right there. And we'll just go ahead and close up our latest entry of the CISO Diaries.